Amen. So there's 13 distinctives that we find in that book, Calvary Chapel Distinctives. You can read it on your own and go through it on your own. Uh, there's a great podcast by Calvary Chapel Philadelphia. You can search CC Philly and they have Calvary Distinctives 2.0. And we've already gone through the first four, the call to ministry, God's model for the church, church government, being empowered by the Spirit. And tonight we'll be looking at building the church God's way. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, we find one of these token Calvary Chapel verses. Acts 2.42 is one of them. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 is another one. It tells us, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Chuck Smith says in his book, another distinctive characteristic of Calvary Chapel is our relaxed, casual style. We don't get involved in a lot of spiritual hype. We don't try to motivate people carnally, and we are apt to shout at the congregation. I believe this stems from our belief and trust in Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. And at first glance at this quote or even reading in this book, it seems like Chuck Smith is talking about our dress code or perhaps our contemporary worship. Even though those are both a part of Calvary Chapel, what Chuck is really speaking about is our mindset when it comes to church growth. When it comes to church growth spiritually, when it comes to church growth numerically, and when it comes to church growth financially, we are to be relaxed and casual because at the end of the day, that growth is God's problem. It's God's problem. Some biblical truths that we can rest on when it comes to church growth is first and foremost that the church, it doesn't belong to me, it doesn't belong to you, it doesn't belong to any man or any individual senior pastor. Biblically, as we've looked at in earlier Wednesday nights, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. It's his church, and he's the one that's in charge of it. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Ephesians 2.20 tells us, Having been built... On the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Here, Paul tells us that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of the church, and then the whole building is fitted together in him. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, it tells us that he gave him, that's Jesus Christ, to be the head over all things to the church. So Jesus, he's the head of the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, tells us, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So Jesus, he's the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body, his own body, the church. Finally, Colossians chapter 118 also tells us that he is the head of the body, the church. Another biblical truth for us to rest on and trust when it comes to church growth is that church growth is not dependent on effort, determination, and planning of man. Man is not given the responsibility of growing the church spiritually, numerically, 
or financially. Let's turn to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. Psalm 127, verse 1. It tells us, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. We looked at Matthew 16, verse 18 a few weeks ago, how Jesus tells Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. In Acts 2.47, it tells us that the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it tells us, Speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, which is Christ. Finally, Colossians chapter 2, verse 19, it tells us the head... From whom all the body, being nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. There are many churches and denominations that give so much focus towards church growth. There's church growth seminars and conferences, meetings and plans. But this is something that is God's problem and God's responsibility. In a moment, we'll look at our job and our responsibility. Oftentimes, churches and denominations, they'll give a lot of focus to the setting and the ambiance of the sanctuary. There can also be a lot of hype, emotional persuasion, and even pressure upon the people in the church, driving them to make spiritual or financial decisions. And it's sad that this has infected churches because this is what we deal with out in our regular lives. In work, we're being driven to produce, produce, produce. You got to punch more numbers. You got to produce more numbers. You got to make more sales. You got to do more and do more. And in work, that's just what needs to happen. But in church, it's sad to see that pastors are driving the flock and putting pressure on them to produce, produce, produce. And that's God's problem. That's not the problem of the church. The problem of the church is to stay faithful to Jesus Christ and to his word. Churches and leaders have no reason to feel pressure to force an outcome out of the sheep. Jesus, he's the foundation of the church. He's the head of the church. And he tells us that he's going to build his church. We also read how it's God's responsibility to build, to guard, to add, and to grow his own church. So as a pastor, my responsibility is to remain faithful, remain faithful. It's required of a steward to remain faithful, to remain faithful to God, to remain faithful to God's word, to remain faithful to my wife, and to remain faithful to the standard for men in leadership found in God's word. That's the responsibility of a pastor and for men in church leadership. Chuck Smith says, if If we have complete confidence that it's his church and that he's going to build it and that he's going to do his job, then all I have to do is to be faithful. It's not my church. It's his church. 
I believe it's very important to remember this because if you try to carry the load or bear the burden, you'll find that it's too great for you. You'll find yourself under the pressure to create schemes and hypes, and then you begin to push and manipulate people, and that isn't the Calvary Chapel style. It's not our job or role to push or manipulate people. You've probably seen that altar calls are not my gifting. In my mindset, the Word of God is out there and it's plain, make a decision. That's, that's my mindset. That's my heart. That, I got saved uh, just in the time alone with the Lord having to make and weigh a decision. Casas, he's great at altar calls. He got saved in a rally in an altar call. He's got that blessing. But for me, it's like, hey, this is the word of God. It's plain and simple. Make a decision today. The rest is up to you. We need to just trust in the Lord. If someone is pushing you or trying to manipulate you, my natural instinct is to do the exact opposite. I don't know what kind of a person you are, right? If someone says, hey, we're all going this way, my main instinct is, okay, I'm going to go the other way, right? You want me to wear that? That's exactly what I'm not going to do, is wear what you're asking me to do. You can ask my wife, I don't do good in, um, in costume parties or themed parties. I'm the bad guy that comes dressed completely opposite of how you're asking me to dress, right? And that is just the instinct of mankind. And if Christ is the head of the church and it's, his growth is up to him and it's the increase of God and God's the one that adds to the church daily, then what we need to do is wait and rely upon his supernatural work. It's not our job to grow the church. It's his job to grow the church in his own supernatural way. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and notice Paul's goal in his teaching. Is it to manipulate people? Is it to stir up their emotions? Is it to pressure them? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1, it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech, or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But we speak, verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Our role is to follow Paul's goal and just teach God's word simply. Teach God's word simply. And if that's enough for Paul, that's enough for me. There's no doubt we need altar calls. People need to be challenged to make a decision. But many churches today, right, there's a poor guy on a keyboard the whole time the pastor's teaching. And he's just mashing the keys, right? right? And the synthesizer as the pastor's speaking to evoke emotion out of the people. Some pastors can do that. Some people like that. That's not our calling. That's not our distinctive. We can teach God's word simply. For worship, sometimes we dim down the lights, but it's not constant darkness or smoke or fog or loud, obnoxiously loud music. We like to be able to enjoy the people sing and hearing the people sing. And if it was good enough for Paul's goal to just simply teach the word of God, that's good enough for me. We also need to remember that this is a spiritual battle. 
that man-made plans and man-made schemes are simply not good enough. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, a couple pages to your right if you're still there in 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3 through 6, Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Again, this warfare that we're going through, it's not human flesh. That's why man-made programs and man-made ambiance and man-made hype is only going to produce a man-made outcome. And that's not the outcome I'm looking for. The outcome I'm looking for, the outcome I'm seeking for is a God-made outcome because it's a spiritual battle that we're in. In Scripture, God-made outcomes tend to happen in settings where his people are staying faithful and pure to him and keeping things simple. Keeping things simple. In Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They stayed faithful to God's word. They stayed faithful to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and faithful to prayer. Then we read already Acts 2, verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Stay faithful to the truth of God's word. And let God do his own thing. It's his job. It's his problem. Mike Foch, he says, to sum up the distinctive, we are actively minus the hype because we actively rely on the spiritual power of God through the work of his spirit and through the truth of his word. We are minus the hype. We don't need hype. We don't need pizzazz. We don't need all of this emotion stirring in here. No, we're going to go against that so we can wait on God and the work of his spirit and the truth of his word. We can turn to John 21 and notice Jesus and his commands for Peter when it comes to taking care of the church, taking care of the ministry, taking care of the flock. John chapter 21, verse 15, it says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Do you agape me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I, he says, I phileo you. Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He didn't say entertain my lambs. He didn't say hang out with them, make them feel better about themselves, tell them they're the best version of themselves. No, he said feed my lambs. Peter, if you love me, then I want you to nourish the little lambs. The word lamb there is literally the word lambkin. It's the small children within the flock. Our job, kids ministry's job is not to just entertain the kids. 
is not to just throw a bunch of goldfish in the middle of the room and lock the door, right, and make sure everybody's alive at the end of the night. But it's to feed the children, that they, in their own level of being able to learn, are being taught the truths of God's word. In verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Agape, once again there. He said to him, yes, Lord, I know, you know that I phileo you. You know that I love you. Then he said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus tells him, Peter, if you love me, then I want you to tend to my sheep. Pete, I'm giving you the responsibility to pay close attention to the flock and that you help the growth and development of the sheep. Peter, that you would guard them, that you would watch them, and that you would defend them. That's the role of the shepherd. It's to guard, watch, and defend the sheep, to make sure that we're paying close attention to the people within the flock, making sure that they are growing and developing spiritually. That's what Jesus tells Peter, this is what I want you to do. Finally, verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah. Now Jesus, he comes down to Peter's level. He says, do you love me? Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things that I love you. Lord, you know that I phileo you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Finally, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, if you love me, then I want you to feed. I want you to nourish. I want you to nourish and feed the grown sheep within the flock. Peter does not, Jesus does not give Peter the responsibility to grow the flock or to stress over the flock's problems. The church's problems are God's problems. I don't have to fear or stress about it. I just have to be faithful, take the problem, take the situation, and apply it to God's word. That's what I have to be faithful to do. What I have to be concerned with is if I am feeding his lambs, the little ones, tending the sheep, the flock at large, and feeding the sheep. And finally, an added one there is loving the sheep, loving the flock. The way I feed the sheep is to simply teach God's word simply. That's the whole goal here, and that's really the Calvary Chapel distinctives. We don't need a bunch of lights or projectors or props or anything like that. We can just teach God's word simply. We could turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, I love the character arc of Peter throughout Scripture. You see his highs and his lows, and now look at Peter here, decades after Jesus restores him into the ministry, telling him, hey, feed the lambs, tend the sheep, feed the flock, feed the sheep. First Peter chapter 5 verse 2, look at the words Peter uses here. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. 
right? Peter, he takes the call that Jesus gives him, and now he gives it to the other overseers that he's a part of. So the way we grow the church spiritually is by feeding the flock the word of God. From the little lambkins, right? From the little lambs to the lambs to the teenage sheep to the adult sheep. Everyone needs to be fed a healthy dose of the word of God. The way we grow the church numerically, number one, is by tending to the flock. And number two, by not worrying about growing the church numerically. The concern is to guard and protect the flock, making sure people are given a place to grow and develop in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Healthy sheep and in a healthy atmosphere will create more healthy sheep. If you're not healthy, you're probably not going to invite other people to church. If church is filled with people looking to eat from other people, right? If everybody's here pushing, hey, I need, hey, do you want to buy health insurance from me, right? If everybody here in church is pushing their businesses, their programs, looking to network and take money from other people, you're not going to invite other people here. But if there's healthy people and there's a healthy atmosphere, then God, it's his responsibility. And if he wants to, he will grow the church. I just need to be responsible in being a pure, real, and humble shepherd. That if I'm a phony, if your baloney meter is going off, you're not going to bring people here. Hopefully you stop going to places where your baloney meter is going off. Sometimes I see pastors, you see the way that they're dressing on the platform. There's no way they're walking around Miami in all leather, right? Leather pants, leather jacket. Are you really walking around Miami like that? You'd be sweating profusely instantly, right? Joe Foe, she says, pastors tend to take themselves too seriously and don't take God serious enough. As a pastor, don't take yourself too serious and take God and the things of God super seriously. That, that's the goal for anyone that wants to grow within church. The way we grow the church financially is by being faithful to God and to God's money and having healthy sheep. He's the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Our God is not broke. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says that each one gives as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when a church passes one offering plate and two offering plate and three and four and five and, hey, we don't have enough, right? Is that really without grudging or not with necessity? We just allow people to give when they want to give, when the Lord puts it on their heart. And if you're a healthy sheep, you're going to go through God's word and the Lord is going to lead you. But if churches... And church leaders use any other type of effort or plans to grow the church spiritually, numerically, or financially, it tends to lead to burnout. It leads to burnout. And we see burnout within churches. We see burnout within pastors. But biblically speaking, there's no burnout when someone is abiding in Jesus Christ and doing things in a biblical way. Chuck Smith says, we've discovered that whenever you strive to gain, you must then strive to maintain what you've gained. If you've really pushed and pressured to gain it, then you have to pressure to keep it going. Maintenance is tough if it's man-made or a man-built program. And it's this striving to maintain that creates ministerial burnout. It's the thing that will kill you. It's the thing that will run you into the ground. It's the thing that will lead you into sin. Because you've striven to gain this crowd, and now you've got a crowd that you must strive to hold. And that can be really tough. 
Spiritual burnout, when you're abiding with Jesus, it just doesn't happen. Or you could turn to John 15. John 15, and anybody here have a, a mango tree or any type of tree in their backyard or in their garden, right? A couple of us do. Do you hear those trees striving for fruit? Moaning and groaning to push out a single mango seed, right? Not at all. In John 15, verse 4, it tells us, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You see, it's not about striving or putting forth all this effort. Should we give God excellence? Absolutely. But we don't have to strive with man-made systems. It's about simply Abiding in Jesus, simply obeying his word, and just getting behind what Jesus is doing. If the branches are connected to the vine, there's no burnout. There's no withering away. If they're connected to Jesus, they are going to bear much fruit. Burnout occurs when we're trying to produce fruit outside of abiding in the vine. That's when the branch withers away when it's not connected and abiding in the vine. So the way we grow the church is by abiding in Jesus Christ and making sure that the flock is the most loved and best fed flock out there. That when the chief shepherd appears, I won't have to cower in shame, but I'll have the joy of knowing I'll receive the crown of glory. That, that's the whole goal here. We don't have to be striving and figuring out and trying to conduct surveys and how to grow the church. Just stay faithful to the Lord and the Lord will grow it in His due time. Many churches, they'll sort of start a youth group to attract youth. At Calvary Chapel, we tend to do the opposite. Once there's 10, 20 youth, then we say, hey, I think we should start a youth group, right? When there's something that God is already doing and birthing, then we say, okay, I think we should do this, right? Because God's already behind it. Chuck Smith says there's a lot of super churches today, but there's also a lot of tired leaders because of their striving to maintain what they've built. It seems like it takes more and more power to maintain the same level of excitement and thrill. And sadly, this happens in churches. People get burnt out by churches. Because they take you, they put you to serve, and if you can walk and chew gum at the same time, they'll push you to serve as much as possible. And they'll push you to create numbers. It, again, it's sad talking to other churches, other church leaders, that their focus, their goal is always on the people who aren't in the church. Kids that aren't in the church. Oh, how are we going to gain the kids from the neighborhood? But then you're asking me, how are you going to feed the kids in your church? Are you going to give them vacation Bible school? No, why would we do that? They're already in the church, right? The goal is to continue to feed and take care of the people within the church. Take care of the people within the family. And then God will add as he sees fit. When a church is maintained on a healthy dose of faithfulness, of love, and of the word of God, that's simple to maintain. It can be hard. But it's simple to maintain. 
And the way you bring people in is the way you need to keep the people in. I don't know how many of you have hobbies and you buy your first maybe pair of shoes in this new hobby. For some of the guys here, right, maybe you buy your first gun. You ladies, you buy your first uh, accessory, your, your first piece of jewelry. And then what happens once you start off with one? What, what happens shortly thereafter? I got to buy another one, right? And is it at the same cost or same level? No, it goes up a little bit. And then as you grow in that hobby, all of a sudden you have a whole room for it, right? A whole closet dedicated to it, a whole safe with not just one, but 20 things in there. And that's the same thing that happens in churches. If a church grabs a person's attention by the gas card, how are you going to keep their attention there? Next week, well, a gas card wasn't enough, right? We've got to give you a year of gas cards. The week after that, get a free Bitcoin for coming to church tonight, right? Or whatever the case may be. A church uses an eager uh, Easter egg drop from a helicopter to bring people into the church this year. What are they going to do next year? Hey, we hired Elon. We're going to drop Easter eggs from the rockets. Come in and see it, right? Because if you create emotion to bring people into the church, you need to stir their emotions more and more and more. And if we're honest, in order to stir our emotions to the same level, we need more stimulation than last time. That's why, right, kids will watch something once, watch it five, ten times, and then what happens? They get bored of it. They need something new to hold their attention like it used to do. And that's the danger of trying to fuel church and church growth through man-made systems and by man-made emotions. When we try something new, when we try to do something just because it's current, when we want to copy a program or start a ministry because we see it somewhere else, it tends to burn out. Now, are church programs evil or sinful? Not at all. But it's just not our style. It's just not our distinctive. Are other extra ministries evil or sinful? Not at all. We'll encourage them. We'll get behind them. But we're just faithful to what God has led us here. That's where there's so much wisdom in Chuck Smith or even in Pastor Raz. These are men that have dealt with different denominations and were pastors for decades before even being a pastor in Calvary Chapel. So there's new things happening, but as Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. So when someone tries a new system, hey, have you ever seen this? Hey, have you ever heard of, right, just go for it, right? Have you ever heard of women pastors before? Have you ever heard of this phenomenon before? They go say, yeah, we saw that 20, 30 years ago. It's nothing new, and it's still not biblical, but it's not new whatsoever. And new things come in and out of churches, and when you have someone that has been there, done that, it's smart to follow after their wisdom. The rat race of other denominations, putting other churches against other churches. Hey, who has the most new people within the church? It can exhaust the flock instead of keeping them healthy and keeping them strong. There are no promises in God's word for man-made systems or man-made methods. But there are a whole lot of promises in God's word talking about God's word. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, we can turn there.
Psalm 1 verse 1 tells us, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Again, what does the wise man, the blessed man delight in? He delights in verse 2, the law of the Lord, and he meditates in it day and night. There's blessings there. There's promises for dwelling and delighting in and meditating on God's word on a day-by-day basis. And we believe the word of God, it's living. It's powerful. It never is going to go out of style. And if that's the case, we can focus in on that in our church and we don't have to worry about reinventing the wheel or doing something new. Because each time we go to a portion of scripture, God's going to bring out something that's relevant, not only to one person, but each of us are given something completely different within the same Bible study. Because God's word is living It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. In Psalm 138, verse 2, the the word says that you have magnified your word above your name. God, he's magnified his own word. He's magnified the word of God above his own name. And that's what we want to magnify here is his own word. In Isaiah 55, verse 11, it says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, and it shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Again, it's his word that's going to go forth and accomplish what he pleases. It's not man-made methods or the Easter egg hunt or the Santa outside, right? My Santa will not return void. No, that's not what it's about. It's about his word. And as we push out his word, that's what's going to change people's lives, is the word of God. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, till the heavens and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Then in Matthew 24, verse 35, he says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. God's word is going to last for all of eternity. It's never going to go out of style. In heaven, I'll be out of a job, but we'll still be focusing on the book. And we'll still be going through the book. We'll still be going through the word of God. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll end nice and early tonight. First Peter chapter 1. Verse 22, 
tells us, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through what? Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So again, our church is not built on a personality. It's not built on a person. It's built on the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. Because that's what literally gives life to someone to be saved, to grow, to be a new creation for the old to be gone and the new to come. It's by the word of God coming into the heart and being accepted. And that's how we have that incorruptible seed. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 tells us, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. So again... Our distinctive is that we follow the Word of God. We follow the Word of God. Chuck Smith, Calvary chapels are minus the hype. We're not into the carnal pursuit of new programs or spiritual hype to try to appeal to people. It's the Word of God that we trust in, that we teach, and that we rely on. It's the foundation upon which we are built It's inexhaustible. There's no burnout with it. It just keeps going on and on and on. And it's exactly what each of us need in our lives. That's why we've been talking about reading God's Word daily, whether you're following our reading plan or the hundreds of reading plans out there. You need to be reading God's Word daily. You're having difficulties in your marriage? Guess what the pastors are going to say here? Are you reading God's Word? Are you being obedient to God's Word? Difficulty at work? Are you reading God's word and are you obeying it? Are you being faithful to what you've been given? Are you that worker that does not need to be ashamed? So whatever you're going on in life, are you reading God's word and are you being obedient to it? And truly in the most difficult parts in life, in the high highs and the low lows, all of that spiritual hype I don't really think is needed or wanted. When you're hurting and going through difficulty, do you want the pastor to come to you dressed in all leather with the guy behind him with the synthesizer walking into the hospital room, right? Trying to stir up the emotion. No, the emotion's already there. The heartbreak is already there. The difficulty's already there. What we need to heal us is the Word of God. It's Him. So, again, in the difficult things in life, and the high points in life, what we want is simplicity and sincerity, That's what we want, simplicity and sincerity. So it's not by our might, it's not by our power, but it's all fueled by the Spirit of the Lord and by His Word. So, worship team can come up, and we'll pray, and we'll close. So Lord, we just thank you so much, God. Thank you for your Word, Lord. Thank you for this incredible gift that you've given to each and every one of us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive me for not reading it enough, Lord, for not applying it enough, Lord. Lord, each of us, no matter how much we read, Lord, there's always more time that we can spend on you, Lord. 
Lord, forgive us for how much time we spend on television or our devices, the news, the media, Lord, and so little time we spend on this living and powerful word that comes from the creator of heaven and earth, from the one who died for us and saved us and picked us and elected us. Lord, forgive us for not spending more time in your word. And God, for anyone here who is exhausted, Lord, maybe they've been trying to get a godly outcome or a God-made outcome through their own flesh, Lord, I pray that they would just, Lord, seek forgiveness and just rest in you, Lord, and just trust in you, God. Again, Lord, help us to trust you, not just with our salvation and the big things like heaven and hell. Lord, help us to trust you in the little things, God. The things that we tend to freak out about, the things that tend to give us so much anxiety and fear, Lord. Help us to lay those things at your feet as well, Lord. So we love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So hey, let's all stand.